Алекса, стоп. A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowes. Uh, so, hello, yes, you're listening to Alexa Stop. I'm here, I'm Jim Bowes. Who on earth are you? Hello, everybody. Back for episode two, I'm Robert Belgrave. And what is this that we're doing? That wonderful thing called a podcast. The renaissance of podcasting. Personally, I'm listening to more of them than I ever have before, and we thought we'd make one ourselves. And this one is about technology. And how it changes people's lives. Uh, and, you know, technology is everywhere. It's changing people's lives at every moment. But there's been a good few things since we made the last episode that have impacted people. And we're going to talk about a few of those. And we've also, on this episode, got a great guest in the studio. Who's our guest, Rob? Well, our guest this month is none other than Adam Graham, CEO of The Marketing Group, which is an agency group. Uh, Adam is someone that I personally attended the South by Southwest Festival with this year, and he'll be joining us a bit later today to talk about the glory that is South by Southwest and to share some of his stories from attending over the last five or six years. And I believe you two had a lovely time flying there together. We did. I was upgraded, something that has never happened to me before, and I really do hope happens to me again. Maybe one day I'll be rich enough to actually be able to pay to sit in business class. Adam was already in the business class cabin when I arrived, which was a stroke of luck on my part. He's substantially more successful than he, us. He definitely is, yeah. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe in the future we'll, we'll all be in that business class cabin together. But nonetheless, we polished off a number of bottles of Bordeaux and prepared our, our livers and minds for the incredible week that was South by Southwest. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about um, South by Southwest as a festival. It covers technology, it covers music, it covers film, um, and its history perhaps lies more in the music side of it. And I think now my take on it is the tech companies pay for it all, but they all want to be near the musicians. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, that's probably some truth in that, but... For example, a lot of the overt branding that was in place in Austin, Texas, where it takes place, was from the likes of Game of Thrones, Series 7. A number of the Game of Thrones cast were kicking around. They premiered the new Alien film, or at least a, a sort of 15-minute segment of it. Uh, the new series of Veep, something that I think is just one of the funniest things being made for TV right now. Uh, there was a lot of promotion around that as well. I think that premieres this Sunday. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. Definitely a blend of sort of film and an interactive not so much music though which maybe says a lot about the state of the music industry and how technology has uh made it considerably less lucrative than perhaps it once was yeah maybe uh, so i've only been to south by southwest once and uh, uh you were just talking about game of thrones then that made me think when i was there i went to the doctor who party from uh, bbc america it's pretty dry nice, nice. some proper bb some proper doctor who nerds were at that one where do you stand on the uh, doctor who nerd scale i'm um, pretty low yeah likewise I was hoping you might be able to make a Doctor Who gag, because I definitely can't. No, no, no. It was just a statement of something that was true. Um, maybe I should move on. There is some <laughs> good news. There is some good news. Uh, Adam Graham's already in the studio trying to keep himself quiet before he's invited as a guest. See, he's got something. He, he's got a story about Doctor Who that we'll ask him about later. I, I look forward to hearing it. Yeah, it's her he, that... he looks really excited about telling that story. Um, so some good news uh, since we recorded the last episode of our podcast uh, is that uh, it's now available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We are now available either on SoundCloud for all of our Android listeners or on iTunes for people that have an Apple device as well. And we can also say with some confidence that uh, actually we're aggregated to most of the Android apps. We are indeed. So uh, for those of you that like to use one of the many Android podcast apps available, we should come up on there as well. Uh, and you'll also be pleased to hear from the lack of echo on this month's recording that we have considerably upgraded our studio. Our podcast comes to you from 
the strong rooms in Shoreditch, the centre of Shoreditch. We can actually look down onto people drinking their beers right now, uh, enjoying not really the sunshine, but the not unpleasant weather. The London haze of a of British summer. Yeah, in the run-up to Easter uh, on recording day. So um, there's a couple more things that it's, it's worth saying. So this is for you if you are interested in technology. It's designed to be sort of accessible for those who are into technology but not like mega geeks. So we try and explain the topics as we go. And we also take a little bit of a look at the news. But there was one feature that we did uh, last month that people really seemed to love, which was stories of your CTO, Rob, and why I might want to be married to your CTO uh, yes. over someone else. Well, it certainly gets him to listen to it anyway. So let's go with story two. So for those of, those of you that maybe did not catch episode one, my business partner, our CTO, created a wonderful set of well, what Jim described as mood lighting. And, you know, mood lighting was definitely part of it. But he, he used some of the amazing new Internet of Things devices to create some cool lighting options in his house. He's the closest to a smart home of anyone I know. Yeah, that's probably fair. And... This uh, caused Jim to question his life choices with regards to uh, being with his his wonderful partner, Louise, and actually thought maybe he should have married my CTO. So I thought maybe I could bring further stories to uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons and, and get him to question that. So you, you've indicated that this one is big, that this could be a game changer, a life changer, no less. Well, big in the... And so, well, yes, largely because... He could probably end up in prison for me telling this story one way or another, but um, let's tell it anyway. Uh, yeah, over the last few days, I was on our, our annual offsite where we plan all of the stuff we do for our business, Wildhive, for the following year. And Simon confided in me that he has managed to hack into his local car wash uh, and now receives free car washes. I've got to be honest, my car is quite dirty. Well, funny you should say that. I mean, if you want to drive to Basingstoke to a mainstream petrol station you could simply pull up to the uh, the washer washer what the hell do you call a car wash yeah i guess like you know the building thing that you drive through simon could get his phone out of his pocket tap in a few commands and the cycle of your choice would be activated free of charge i think it's the fact that i've not even really got the first idea how i would make that happen from my phone I can sort of get my head around how using a laptop and things, I might be able to do that. But actually having it configured in such a way that I can execute that using my phone is impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny and potentially incriminating, but it's also a really nice depiction of that right now we still have this massive variance in level of understanding of technology and society. And so the people that run this car wash, leaving the debug output on the screen when it broke one day that had all of the engineering information you would need to get into a car wash and do this stuff didn't seem like a really terrible thing. And that's how Simon did this. Is He, he pulled up to get his car wash one day, couldn't because the thing was had crashed, basically. And on the screen was all of the IP address information, which for people who don't work with the internet is kind of like the telephone number of how you connect to something. Um, was able to get into it. He went home and he was just sitting in the corner and, you know, maybe he had his partner and his children around and they're, they're, they're just sort of saying, oh, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just hacking a car wash. Yeah, pretty much. And you know what? An angry techie is a very dangerous thing. And I think having not been able to receive a car wash was probably the thing that spurred him on to uh, to go and make it his, as I think he put it. Do something about it to own it. Quite. I'm so going to own that car wash. It's mine. I've made it mine. I think that's a verbatim quote. So let's move on before the police start kicking in his door. 
maybe time for the news, Jim. What's been going on in the news this month? It's the news, it's the news, it's the news. We haven't made a jingle for that yet, so I guess that's as close as I can get. The big story, actually, this week has been about United Airlines, which I'm almost terrified to talk about because it's been such a controversial topic. It's impossible not to be talking about this this month. So for those that don't know, uh, a passenger on a United flight, uh, which was overbooked, was asked if he would give up his seat. They asked for volunteers initially, no one came forward. They then had to randomly select some people because nobody was willing to get off the flight. And the reason they needed the seats was because they needed to get some of their own crew on the flight to, to move to another airport hub so they could to fly know, some more planes right. and all that good stuff. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that there's a compensation uh, strategy that exists. So they initially offer you like $350, something like that, and then they up it to $800. And they were at the $800 mark and that no one was caving uh, for a night in a hotel and $800. So that's why they decided to choose some people at random. Uh, and I suppose the now infamous doctor in question uh, that said no... What I thought was interesting was that his wife said yes, and so she was already off the plane. Yeah, and the, but yeah, on principle, you know, look, people of principle, fair enough, you know. He's like, I really don't care that my wife's off this plane. I am flying home to Kentucky. I've got patients to see. Exactly. That is exactly what he said. As a doctor, he said, I've got my, I need to see my patients. Ask someone else. You're um, testing my patients. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Does that one get make it that through? That was good. Yeah, that's that, that, <laughs> pretty bad, leave, isn't it? leave that in. And so... This guy, point blank, refused to the point where they got security to come onto the plane and, as many of you will have seen, basically beat him up in his seat in front of a plane full of people, which is just crazy. I mean, like, who on earth thought that was an acceptable thing to do? I don't know. To the point where he had a bloody face and and took quite a bad beating. They did eventually get him off the plane. He then somehow escaped captivity, ran back onto the plane, yelling, they're trying to kill me. All of this, thanks to the magic of technology, was recorded both photography and video, by a large number of the people on the plane. And what's been really interesting in the 48 hours since then is that crisis comms have kicked in from United, as you'd expect, with a big corporate, PLC, and they haven't been able to gag the story because this footage is out there, whether they like it or not. So actually, they can't craft some skillful narrative about how he was obstructive or racially abused a cabin crew member or whatever because it's all there on camera. For me, this was a really interesting take on how technology is increasing the freedom of information. What that means is that organisations that run the world are not able to control the message in such a crafty way as they perhaps did 10 or 15 years ago. And of course, there's been some attempts on on this to control that message. There was um, an internal message that went from the CEO to staff that talked about how he was backing them and and obviously within minutes that was available publicly and so that flow of information whether something was marked an internal communication or not was really available and the internet was interested and uh, there's a particularly interesting thing around this on reddit that you were talking about earlier yeah so for for anyone that hasn't been on reddit go and google it now it's uh, I think the strap line is it's the front page of the internet and it's an amazing place to consume a kind of digest view of what's going on online on any given day or week. And Reddit is broken into things called subreddits, which are kind of like subsections of the site that have a specific topic. So one of them is called videos. So slash r slash videos. And on there, you can't post if you're not including a video. And what happened in the aftermath was that people were posting and reposting the videos quite brutal videos of this guy getting beaten up and they all start getting taken down by the moderators on reddit for breaching various rules and then what happened was this kind of just proliferation of humorous i guess memes were created 
like referencing you know passenger thrown off united flight with like clips from movies where people like jump off planes and stuff and it just you know you cannot silence it you even if you censor the original content you cannot get away from the fact that people are going to talk about this and you you there are the strength in numbers it's not possible to shut these conversations down anymore. Some of my favourite ones, those were um, taken from Airplane. That was there were some particularly good Airplane moments where p- there's a passenger in in one of those films where there's lots of people in turn uh, walk up to hit the person, and then there's a queue of people with a big spanner and a baseball bat and things like that. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll stick that one in the show notes. Um, snakes on a plane, I think, is yeah, you know, that was a, another good one. Is another good one. So there's there's plenty of good films that have planes in in them as as part of it, and so plenty of material there really for people to feed on. And, uh, and and satire, you know, at its best. Absolutely. And, and you know, look, an interesting take on the whole crisis comms thing as well, which is something that people in tech often have to think about. It's been a busy month in crisis communications, whether you're at the White House or at United or maybe at Uber with all of the bad PR that they've had recently as well. I did some crisis PR comms for a PR agency a few years ago because they were wrestling with the fact that social media was relatively new. And um, one of their clients uh, for a logistics company will describe them as had had a complaint over twitter and they asked the person to delete their tweet and then it really blew up someone famous saw it retweeted it mm-hmm. and so there was that was sort of really self-created crisis comms by just sort of um, not handling people in the way that you should on social media yeah i think once the cat's out of the bag these days apologize Tell people why you're going to do something differently in the future. Covering up is not an option anymore. You certainly can't put the genie back in the bottle with the internet. So anyway, lots going on there with United and Uber. So maybe to talk about some of the other stuff that's been going on. There was a hacking story which caught my eye, which was a road sign was hacked. started displaying some slightly critical messages of Trump in the States. Um, And the big story today in the British press has been around the destruction of value that companies see if they are cyber attacked. I don't know if you saw the City AM headline this morning, but it was about, I think it was something like the UK economy loses 500 million a year or maybe a billion, actually. It was a big number due to cyber attack and cyber warfare. Um, And, you know, okay, it's kind of humorous that a road sign gets compromised and starts saying Trump is a lizard or whatever it was. But um, it was a David Icke quote. Uh, remind me, what was that quote? Uh, it was just about shape-shifting lizards. That was it. it Trump, is, Donald Trump is a shape-shifting lizard. Was the uh, <laughs> was the sign? Um, but you know what? That that's kind of funny and 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 you know get, gets well shared online. But if that's your bank account being emptied or your corporate IP being stolen. Yet another reminder that cybersecurity is something that should be on everyone's agenda. I suppose what I want to know really is how much of that 500 million relates to the hacking of car washes? Oh, oh dear. No, <laughs> is that too far? Sorry, Simon. Sorry. <laughs> um, not much. I think, you know, but probably about what, how much is a car wash in one of those places? About three pounds? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's had 30 quid's worth or something. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm sure he'd repay it. <laughs> You're going to have an awkward conversation, aren't you, about I this am, afterwards? Um, so, a couple of other things I've noticed is that in San Francisco, sort of, so home of tech, I suppose, home of startup, there's a robot that's now delivering food. So, Yelp's app, you can choose to have your food delivered by robot. But at the moment, it still has a human observer. Is this live sure, now? Live now, you can, you're, they're, they're, I guess, beatering or piloting a robot delivery agent. With a human standing over it, escorting it, making sure it doesn't like 
brutally murder somebody en route by accident or something. Absolutely okay. like that. Yeah. So I thought that's interesting because there's a couple of things that w- where we've seen technology developing and, you know, people have got their sort of robot lawnmower and their robot vacuum cleaner. Uh, and now you've got something which is really, I suppose, a robot storage box um, that moves along a very urban area delivering food to people. And some of the technology that historically we saw as sort of things of the future and things of science fiction are really becoming true. And another story that, that I felt sort of really related to that um, was that McLaren, the Formula One team, are going to bring 3D printing trackside. So 3D printing, something that we've talked about for a long time, there's been the real headline grabbers when it comes to 3D printing. So the person that 3D printed a gun, that was a big story at South by Southwest when I was there five, six years ago. But now people are sort of taking this into Formula One. And I suppose how long is it before people are printing their own car parts at home? Are people already doing that actually some of the time? Yeah, I mean, 3D printing and and that whole, like the new age of fabrication is is sort of not getting talked about anymore, which is really interesting because actually it's probably one of the most important trends in technology right now and it's definitely going to change our world. The idea that you can distribute manufacturing of everything into much smaller, more localised factories, I guess, ultimately, means that there's no need for logistics anymore. And a, a lot of really smart people think that that's the future, is that everything we buy or you know use to repair things that break will be created in or around the place where we are at the time. So as always with technology, I think it's the sort of bleeding edge that drives the way and and and, oh, and that we want to talk there, about car pun there. But you know, McLaren knocking up parts at the roadside in the future that might be you know I need a new chair leg for my for my chair. Oh, I'll just print one. Or I don't know, I've broken my cooker. I need a new door for my oven, and that can be made two you know two blocks around the corner rather than having to be ordered from China or something. So I, I think. There's kind of an ecological reason why it's it's a it's a good thing as well. And talking a little bit about ecology, uh, lots of new devices need lots of battery power. And I read an article which was everyone should have a giant battery in their life. Why is that, Jim? Well, I suppose it's because you can then have this unit that can charge your laptop ten times over anywhere you are. Uh, that you can maybe take on camp with you i guess i don't know oh so is this like you through a through a desert is this like one of those ipad sized batteries that people carry around that's actually bigger than the device they're charging with it i mean this is absolutely bigger than the device that you're charging it sort of looks i suppose you know that you can get the chargers for car batteries it's about the size of a charger for a car battery but i thought it was interesting because someone has gone to the trouble of making a consumer product that can do this which i think suggests that they feel very strongly and they've raised substantial finance for the idea that we're all going to be much more dependent on power sources in more places uh, as as maybe we need things like that to give a quick boost to our car or, or whatever it might be yeah, so uh, that's just one to think about. Anything else from the news? I suppose we're pretty much uh, newsed out, but but what we have got is, uh, we, we, as a, as a, have you got something else from the news? Um, no, the, the only thing I remembered, I've, tr- I've been trying to remember the name of the woman, so and I can't, so my apologies to the lovely, I think it's Beth something, and she, I, uh, who I saw at South by Southwest, which obviously we're going to talk about later, and she's the MD, CEO of uh, General Electric, so obviously a huge organisation in the States. And but you know her as Beth. I know her as Beth. All right, Beth, how's it going? Um, Good. She, she gave this talk where she was asked in the Q&A at the end, what's the biggest, most important trend that's affecting your business now 
that you don't think people are thinking or you know are talking about anymore or thinking about and she said it's without any doubt it's 3d printing and fabrication so i i just thought it was kind of interesting to hear it from like a titan of industry that you've all forgotten about this because it's kind of last year's hype curve thing but actually this is changing the world quietly every day. The plateau of productivity is on its way. Indeed. Um, yeah, so talking of, of hype curves, it's probably worth, uh, we, every time we, we get together, or in every episode, we talk about something from the hype curve. And I've, I've chosen something this month. I hope you don't mind. No, please, please do. So, and, and maybe a jingle for this segment in the future. Yeah, hype curve, hype curve. There we go. That, that, that. We're going to get my little brother to do uh, some some jingles. So I'm hoping that where I just sort of said hype curve, hype curve uh, is actually missing, and uh, there is some. It's replaced with something. Well, if not, this was probably equally entertaining. And if if it's not missing, then it would, the explanation of it is ridiculous and pointless because I would then be explaining something that doesn't exist. Um, so if there was a jingle, uh, that's good. That's what's to be to, to be taken from that. But what I wanted to talk about was brain computer interfaces. Yeah, thinking caps. <laughs> thinking caps, I suppose so. So this is not new technology, but it, but it, it's um, it's on the hype curve as something that will become very real in the next 10 years. For sure. So I think on the hype curve, the things I find most interesting, so just to explain what the hype curve is, uh, lots of research organisations like Gartner and Forrester track technology trends and things that will become part of day-to-day life over time. And they track um, how much hype there is around them and their model of the hype curve goes through a really excited period and then there's like a trough of disillusionment uh, and then things come out onto the plateau of productivity and that's really when they get accepted into our day-to-day lives. So I was looking today at a few of the old ones, you know, where smart TVs and things like that were, were, were present on them and those are obviously now things that we have in our day-to-day lives. Conversational interfaces were appeared in the ones from a few years ago. But brain-computer interfaces have been on there for a long time, yeah. and they still have a long lead time. And this is really where people are carrying out experiments, like can can you track someone's thoughts and know what they're thinking? And people have proved that you can track the electricity of the brain to decide whether someone is thinking about a vowel or a consonant, for example. Wow. And so that ability to have the power of thought actually drive things around you and you use your mind to control things is perhaps not as ridiculous as we might have thought and um, what I thought was particularly interesting was uh, that someone raised um, 6.3 million dollars via sort of the army that um, they found that you could do brain-based communication to put together imagined speech sort of building on the the vowel and consonant work so I guess that ability to think a word and then uh, be able to recreate it separately is perhaps a possibility God, I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, um, from from my perspective on the same topic, I've seen a couple of things in this area recently. Elon Musk of Tesla, SpaceX and PayPal fame recently announced a business called Neuralink, which is kind of doing this, like creating a wireless interface between a computer and the brain. I've heard a lot, you know, thinking caps, yes, I'm sort of poking fun at it, but I have actually heard quite a serious AI researcher talk about the idea of thinking caps and how you know, augmenting our brains with the power of computers is almost certainly in our not too distant future. And, you know, it's the things that humans do really, human brains do really badly that computers do really well. Like, I don't know, imagine if I could do like floating point math mathematics calculations to 10 decimal places in seconds. Yeah. If you could just think the thought, send this calculation, yeah. and you could wait and receive it back. I w- yeah. Brain, what is pi to 52 decimal places? Boom, there's the answer. And I, I think... That feels like it's probably a middle ground that we're going to get to at some point where we can sort of literally put a hat on or maybe even a wireless adapter at some point, you know, to our 
between a brain and a computer, which could be an implant, which is what Neuralink are trying to do, Elon's company. And so, um, you know, and use the power of computers for what they're really good at while retaining what the human brain is really great at, which is creativity and, and rationalization and, and that, you, you know, bringing emotional intelligence into a decision. Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting. So the, um, brain-computer interfaces are categorized into the um, invasive and non-invasive. So do you really have to have your head chopped open in order to have this piece of technology interface with your brain? And you cannot, it's been proven that you can recreate the electrical signals that your brain uses to control your body. So there's, there's elements of sort of motor about it. And we're recording this in, you know, Parkinson's Awareness Week. Maybe, may, maybe there's, there's things about how the brain controls parts of the body where, where there could be real health research take place that would have a real impact. And maybe people could have sort of some form of implant. There's then the sort of semi-invasive, which I think is probably what you're talking about, where yeah. maybe it's, it's a small implant, but it doesn't, you don't have to have your whole head chopped open. Yeah, and I think the idea of implants right now is really terrifying and dystopian, but it's going to be totally normal. Uh, it just is like 10, 20 years from now, everybody will have some sort of computer or augmentation in their bodies and it'll just be normal and something people won't think about. But I think during when we're at this point on the hype curve where these things are terrifying, coming up with ways where we can use these things without having to permanently install them in our bodies is going to help drive adoption. Much as the thing we talked about in our first episode, you know, the weird little box that ticks when you see the northern North. star yeah yeah what was it called um cyborg nests product uh the the north sense that's what that was it so yeah look, really interesting area and i think the brain interface thing is something to keep an eye on i mean jim if you could add one capability to your brain using a computer what do you think it would be it's a good question i think rem- remembering family occasions <laughs> so i'm known for having a really good memory uh, and the truth is, I'm really good at remembering things that relate to my business. Right. I'm really terrible at re- remembering birthdays. That's good. Family occasions. So like the Facebook, it's someone's birthday today thing. Like, would, was that basically it? Yeah, I think, but also maybe something that compelled me to actually buy a card and go to a post office. So send a few electrical signals that just like make me feel like it's... Right. You know, so so slowly increasing pain until the Mother's Day card is in the post. Is that kind of what we're saying? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, that if, if, if or just giving me a sudden an urge to, you know, really make that phone call and be a better son. Huh. Yeah. What okay. would you do? Um, I would, honestly, I think I would probably have the ability to t- put myself to sleep for a set amount of time. So like, I want to go to bed right now for, and I want to sleep for eight hours. Go. I think that would be an incredibly useful ability, particularly when you have to sleep in an environment that's not particularly restful. I don't know. A hotel room with bad curtains springs to mind. I can't Uh, imagine you ever stay in hotels with bad curtains. I imagine you phone them up in advance. I mean, firstly, I think you don't stay in hotels with a few enough stars for that to be something that happens. But even if when you are in a four-star or higher hotel and suddenly they've got bad curtains, I, I, I I think maybe you'd have done the research. It's, it's certainly a possibility. When's but... the last time you stayed in a hotel room with bad curtains? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's influencing my answer a little bit. But I, I don't know. I just think so many people have a lot of trouble with sleeping. My issue is I'm a massive night owl. I don't get tired until often two in the morning, which makes it quite hard to deal with things like early meetings. I mean, I'm often working at that point, but I just don't shut down and, and get tired until quite early you know or late at night rather so for me to be able to get into bed at midnight and press the eight hour sleep button would be an amazing thing so there you go and if uh, it was your cto of course he'd put that button right next to the bedside and and if you pressed uh, them together there'd be some lights left on and you'd be out for eight hours (laughs) 
I suppose so. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, I enjoyed talking about that. So um, ne- next feature before we get on to South by Southwest proper is uh, tech that you'd like to bring back. Indeed. So this one's this one's one of yours, Jim. Not one I re- I remembered. Perhaps yeah. showing my age there. So I, I, I'm, the tech I bring back, and I've got a YouTube clip that we'll that link to in the notes, uh, is uh, the Atari Touch tablet from the 80s. And what I thought was fabulous about this is not least of all, um, the advert for it has uh, an actor uh, from uh, MASH uh, demonstrating the product. And it is simply a tablet that connects to your TV and lets you draw. And I feel like it's the, you, you know, the Snapchat of the 80s. It's just that you couldn't do anything at all with the images. They just appeared on the television screen. Yeah, no saving. Just for the benefit of our listeners, that was literally it. Real-time drawing on your TV screen from a sort of ropey-looking tablet that you could hold. A kind, the... of, a kind of etch-a-sketch. Yeah. Um, and, and so the reason that I thought this was particularly interesting was I've got some friends who are doing a Kickstarter at the moment, and I think you've, you've seen this. Yeah, yeah, the, the Jotter thing. Yeah, so it's called a Jotto, and, and it's, a, it's a plotter that uh, works over Wi-Fi that you can uh, draw anything that you want, and it, it draws it on the wall for you. It holds a little pen, and, and people could use it to sort of do their daily specials in their restaurant, or, or they could just use it to create art. And if you're a backer on their Kickstarter project, it's going to send over the internet a different artist every day for a year, and Amazing. it's just going to draw a creative person's... Uh, work and so you can have a different piece of art on your wall every single day for a year definitely want to check out so we'll put the link in the show notes for this but if you want to google it it's j-o-t-o jotto um it's on kickstarter they've already reached three times their pledge amount so it's definitely going to get made they've raised 350 grand on kickstarter for this already with on a target of 100 so you are going to see them out in the world I just thought it was a really cool intersection of that fabrication stuff we were talking about, internet-connected technology, uh, something that is highly functional but also could be used for more sort of spurious, creative things like why not have art every day or something. So a really cool bit of kit. And I know, Jim, one of the people behind the project, I think we'll look to sort of bring him in for a future episode, but I suppose it'd be interesting to talk to him about how open to hacking he feels his product might be because <laughs> you could then maybe simultaneously draw on the walls of thousands of people uh, and get your propaganda out there. I, I can only imagine what every childish man in the world would draw remotely on a uh, <laughs> on a flexible Giotto in uh, thousands of homes and businesses up and down the land. So I'm interested to ask that question. So that probably brings us to the close of that section uh, and we'll get Adam into the studio. Yeah, so let's have a little break and when we come back we'll be joined by Adam to talk South by Southwest. So we're delighted to welcome to the Alexa Stop studio, Adam Graham of TMG. Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you've been in the studio with us as well, listening to what we've been talking about so far. Uh, hi, Jim. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm not going to say too much about myself, but I've, uh, I've, I'm running TMG, which is a global marketing company. I used to be the chairman of BEMA, the British Interactive Media Association. I've, I've run a few digital agencies over the years. And actually, when you were talking about 3D printing, it reminded me of when I was at Weapon 7. It must be about five years ago now. And we, we had a, um, a 3D printer because it was like, you know, every cool digital agency had one. And then, you know, once you'd printed a model of someone's face, you'd kind of run out of anything practical to do with it. But we were on a shoot, at shooting somebody in our office, and um, the mount for the uh, camera broke. And we downloaded the model for an SLR mount, printed it, and got back on with the shoot. So, you know, that was five years ago. And I think, you know, it is... It is 3D printing has definitely progressed, but it's just less sexy at the moment. 
But it's expanding into, you can print houses now. So it's, it's definitely definitely the future. And seven years ago, everything that came out of a 3D printer looked like a badly made child's toy, right? So it's quite <laughs> yeah. impressive, seven yeah. years ago. I mean, think what's possible now. Well, indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it was really interesting uh, listening to your chat. I was also chuckling to myself about your... Uh, your discussion around how it's uh, you know possible to hack so many devices, and obviously with the Internet of Things, so many of these things don't have great security. And um, and the technology in our bodies that's going to become more commonplace. Of course, there's already several instances of technology in our bodies. My dad's had a pacemaker for many years, and um, I remember logging onto it through the Wi-Fi with my laptop and discovering it has no password. So uh, if I ever chose to i could give my dad a heart attack so which you, is something that pleases me you're just waiting aren't you at a family christmas for <laughs> him to say no more baileys for you <laughs> yeah. and oh, then it's, sure. oh, we'll see about that i could you know just just tweak it a little bit and just maybe get him a bit more excitable then slow him back down again put him to sleep maybe that's you know <laughs> maybe, maybe not just life or death no maybe, exactly maybe, you know, it's only a little more, little more it only PG-13. takes one slip the, the family cat to walk across your keyboard and <laughs> oh, you could God. be in all kinds of trouble I mean, it's probably lucky that he's not incredibly rich because, <laughs> just yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I think between that and car washes, we've got it covered. <laughs> Who knows what could happen if you combined the two so the car wash started to control your dad's pacemaker. If it, You could nice. have it so if someone went for the top programme, yeah. something would happen. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm sure via IFTT we could hook him up to all sorts of instances all over the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so for anyone listening that doesn't uh, know that, that's If This Then That, which is a little rules engine that lets you create havoc with your dad's pacemaker. That's specifically what they invented it for. Exactly. And I'm sure he'll, he'll be uh, raising his heart rate when he listens to this podcast as well. So sorry, Dad. Father's Day is not too far away. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so we're here to talk about South by Southwest. You both went this year, several years since I uh, had a great time. Um, one of the biggest uh, sort of technology, music and film conferences in the world. Uh, and you both had a good time, I hope. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I think I've been, this is my sixth year this year. Um, I would like to preface this whole section by saying, um, there's a saying that if you uh, remember South by, you weren't really there. I'm not known for my memory at the best of times, and when you add in vast quantities of tequila, it doesn't help. So um, let's my be honest. A bit patchy. Let's be honest. We invited two people to talk about their experiences of South by Southwest uh, shortly after being there, and they've both had to do some research to remember what things they went to and what was talked about. <laughs> I so think you're casting aspersions, Jim. I mean, uh, look, South by Southwest. I went for the first time this year. Adam has been many times, so I think it's an interesting kind of perspective to get both sides of it, right? So as a newbie. What I found is that until I'd been, I didn't really care about South by Southwest. It, people would say the word and I'd sort of heard of it, but nobody really could relate to it. it it's something that I don't think seems to be really in the minds, particularly of, of English people, for, for whatever reason. And um, since coming back, I, I had such an amazing experience there that I've been waxing lyrical about it to all and sundry. And actually, most people are like, South by South, what? Like, even people I would consider to be in this industry who should have been there, frankly, don't even know what it is. So maybe we could start by just talking a little bit about, well, what is this thing, right? Because it's just, right now it's just a word. So South by Southwest, it takes place in Austin in Texas. Austin, if you've never been, it's kind of like the Shoreditch of middle America. It's pretty edgy. Um, their whole strapline is like, keep Austin weird. And it's a very liberal city, given it's such a you know right-wing state. It, yeah, particularly for Texas. It is really the yeah. only place in Texas like it. They um, they consider themselves adjacent to Texas. Yeah, I think if they could 
if they could make themselves a different country, they probably would, right? Yeah. Yeah. Home of Whole Foods, I believe, is yeah. where they started. Yeah. So. And, and actually, I, as I've discovered when I was there, referred to locally as Silicon Mountains, there is a lot of technology companies there. It's kind of one of the few places in the States not considered coastal elite. There's a budding technology community. So a really cool place for this to happen. And it all started in the 80s, originally as a music festival, and it's developed over the years into what it is now, which has kind of become this, this pilgrimage, this annual pilgrimage for people in film, music, and what they call interaction which is kind of like technology, marketing, advertising, digital stuff. And each of the three topics gets a week, uh, sort of extended week, I think sort of eight or nine days, isn't it, Adam? And they they run back to back with a little bit of of bleed between the different sets of programming into each other. So Adam and I both attended Interactive, which is, you know, what we do professionally. So that kind of makes sense. Um, But over that three week period, they reckon about 300,000 people go to Austin, uh, about 100,000 for each week. And wow, just an amazing experience. And I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited to even be talking about it and, and to share some of the stories. But of course, one of the things is what parties did you get invited to? That's, that's, a, that's a measure of success at South by Southwest. And I know last time I went, I, I paid for an external service that automatically signed me up for all of the parties. Yeah, there, uh, was, a, yeah, there was an app released a few years ago that was a kind of, it went into the um, uh, Eventbrite API and it would automatically sign you up to all of the parties. <laughs> Um, that's amazing and so people just just exploited this and like were signed up to every party and they didn't necessarily go to them and and so they did shut it down but um there's some amazing parties you know spotify is always a good one uh mashable is always a good one this year for the first time i um, was much more well behaved than i have been on previous years um so i didn't go to some of the late night parties but uh i did drink my fair share of margaritas so uh, we know you both had some some boozy times adam a little bit more sensible than normal but let's start big if if there's one thing that you really took away and that will stay with you, what is that? So for me, this year was all about margaritas and Mars. It's always about margaritas, but it alliterates with Mars. I saw a couple of fantastic talks and um, it's truly inspirational. You know, one of the things I love about South By is you go there with a certain sort of theme in mind and then you just discover something else and you go off on a complete tangent and then you get deeper into this. And so... Um, I went to a, a panel discussion uh, where they where they said in no uncertain terms, in our lifetime, we will colonise Mars. And then they went through great detail how this is going to happen. And this wasn't some, you know... Yeah, this isn't sci-fi, right? These no, are scientists no, explaining the plan they've yeah. got. Yeah, these, these are guys from MIT and NASA. You know, they've got... And they went through in detail how they, they uh, likened it to uh, laying seeds to a mountain as opposed to... In the old days, when Columbus would set off across the seas to discover America, he, he would take everything with him on his ship. Whereas to lay seas to a mountain, you load your supplies up the mountain first. You send things ahead. So with Mars, they will send robots to Mars first. The robots will build the infrastructure, develop the the, the, the area where you can grow vegetables, etc. And then when, when Mars is ready to receive us, then uh, we will deploy people. And the second talk I saw on Mars was, was by Buzz Aldrin, um, who... You know, is a is an old guy, and obviously he's famous for 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 being the first one of the first men on the moon. But what I didn't realise is he's also got a doctorate or a professor level degree from from MIT. So he's a real scientist, and uh, the passion in this guy's voice when he speaks. You know, he's he's developing a cycler, which is a, a huge uh, space travel machine with its own gravity machine where different spaceships can dock into it, and it can take you on this you know this nine month journey to Mars. So that was a, a really unexpected tangent, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, funny enough, last night on TV, there was a, a programme about Mars. And so now I'm obsessed with Mars. 
It's interesting. It's nine months. It's like the the, the documentary could be called Reborn on Mars. <laughs> Very nice. Personally, I'm just fascinated with Mars, and I can agree with everything Adam said. But I didn't see any of the Mars programming, and and honestly, for all of the banter about drinking, I found the content to be so good. I actually didn't really go to many of the parties because I wanted to be fresh the following morning for, for the 9am start. And I'm not just saying that. Like, it was that good. It's good that you know the question that was at the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Are you just saying no, that? No, I'm I really not. Like, I wish I was because I'd be much cooler if I'd gone to all the parties and got drunk every night. But honestly, I travelled halfway around the world for this thing. The tickets aren't cheap. And the content on offer every day from 9 till 6 was unbelievably good. And so... um I very quickly worked out, actually, the reason to come to this and, and, you know, the thing to take away is the content, not the parties. So I sort of spent my entire week just getting to as much of it as I could. And a couple of things really stayed with me. I think I could talk about a lot of different things, but I think this story really resonates with me about why this is a festival and not a conference. So, like, I've been to Glastonbury a number of times. I've been to music festivals growing up a lot, as I'm sure many people have. And the thing that I always identified a festival as is a place where... You, f- you stumble upon things you weren't expecting that actually end up being the most amazing things you saw, right? So at Glastonbury, you always end up seeing some random band you didn't even know was playing or you'd never heard of, and wow, guess what? They were the best thing you saw all week. Bruce Forsyth. Bruce. Yeah. I saw him uh, at one of the tents at Glastonbury. Are you joking? No. Okay. Very good. What Chaz did- and Dave. Always Chaz and Dave. <laughs> Ch- I do love Chaz and what Dave. What did Bruce sing? Um, he did a number of like piano standards, and he did a little bit of tap dancing. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was quite a special event, really. Oh, yeah. He was eighty odd at the time, so yeah. Wow, this story's going to seem dull now. I was, uh, I think, midweek. I sort of was in a in a um, a keynote with somebody, and it was really good. Some of the rooms get so busy that they won't let you back in right once you leave because you'd have to queue again. So I desperately needed to lose. So I'd left the room I wanted to be in for the afternoon. And I couldn't get back into it. So I sort of had an hour to kill till the next like key, key stuff started. So I just picked the first room I could find and went into it. And there was some space in the back and, you know, managed to find a seat. And it turned out I'd only missed like 10 minutes of this talk. And it was a guy called Chris Sacker who I'd actually never heard of. And it feel like I probably should have heard of him. He's a, a venture guy, an investor... Uh, one of the original backers of Uber and Twitter, uh, to name just a few of his massive success stories. He's actually on the Shark Tank program in the US as well, which is a bit like the Dragon's Den for our UK listeners. And um, wow, just an amazing guy who told some incredible stories that really connected with me. And the one I'd like to share was um, he was invited to a dinner for TED speakers. So he's kind of a big deal in America. And, and TED is an American thing. It was founded in Long Beach. And um, every year they have this annual TED speakers dinner for the sort of Illuminati of, of, of Ted and so he was invited as a guest and the way they structure it as the story goes is they have like eight or nine tables each of which has one prolific Ted speaker on it hosting the table and um, Chris really wanted to sit on Rory Sutherland's table the incredible behavioral econo- economist who we all probably know and I personally love his work so definitely yeah so Chris rocked up to this dinner and um, Rory's table was full so, you know, he he had this immediate, immediate like, fear of missing out. He could see all these people laughing and drink, you know, oh, look, all these people at Rory's table having such a great time. And he looked around the room and all the tables were full except for one table, which was completely empty except for one speaker on it. And that was the host of the table. And he'd never heard of her. And he, he said he looked her up and down. She was a tiny Indian woman. He reckons she probably weighed, like, 80 or 90 pounds, you know, all of four foot five or something. and 
Chris is a really like open-minded guy, has done lots of work for diversity and so on, but was quite blunt in telling us all in this on, in his talk. He judged this situation. His his brain ticked over and he thought, "I'm going to have a terrible evening." He, he he judged the book by its cover. So he went and sat down at the table because there was really nowhere else for him to sit at this point. And well, the way he told the story was that he was so engrossed in the conversation with this woman that he didn't touch a single mouthful of the three courses they served him that evening. And he knew like a hundred people at this dinner who were texting him later that evening like, dude, I was making eye contact with you all night trying to get your attention. You just blanked me what was going on because he was so incredibly immersed in this conversation with this woman. He's ultimately ended up backing this woman. I'll put her business in the show notes. He reckons without any doubt it will be their next unicorn, as he put it. And in his words, he'll never make that mistake again. And what does she do? Uh... He didn't explain that very clearly. Ah, so just he's like, this is a story about me and 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 how I was in a situation. And whilst I'm going to back this woman, you can hear about her when she's got this talk. Yeah, it's um, well, we'll share the link and and have a read about it. But a very interesting business that apparently already has a nine figure valuation. Yeah, yeah. So don't judge your dinner seat by its cover. I guess is the <laughs> uh, mo- the moral of that story. Absolutely, and actually, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy, but he wears the most ridiculous cowboy shirts. And I've got to say, I kind of judged him by his shirts, but he was fantastic. Um, one of his funniest anecdotes was when he was talking about all the businesses he didn't invest in, um, and it's like literally just name your top ten startups over the last twenty years, um, and you know, and a Snapchat. You know, the Snapchat came to him as an early investor, and he just looked at him and said, "Dude, dick pics." <laughs> I can't invest in that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he just reeled off all these anecdotes of yeah. things he, and reasons why, which were all perfectly like understandable reasons. But by the same token, they all did fairly well. I think the thing is, though, that we all know that that the porn industry has done an awful lot for furthering the internet. And so, if something is fueled primarily by dick pics, there's a fair chance it might actually convert into something successful at some point. Oh, yes. Case in point, the Snapchat, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, success. How interesting how you measure that. But but Snapchat obviously evolved into a messaging medium, which you'd kind of never have. You know, I mean, that's a classic case of where the internet takes hold of something and then augments it into something probably completely unintended at the beginning. And of course, like most other social media apps, are mimicking its features at the moment. So whether it itself will survive is perhaps irrelevant. It, it definitely moved forward the medium of social media. Indeed. And, yeah. and so bringing it back to South by Adam, like what else did you see from the week you were there? I mean, I know you were, you were unfortunately, unlike me, you had a lot of other work you had to do uh, due to just the way stuff fell for you schedule wise. But yeah. what else sort of stayed with you? Were there any other distinct memories of talks you saw? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, I, I, I missed a couple of days, which uh, was unfortunate because there is so much content. You really do get fear of missing out. You really, really want to get a full day out of every day. But uh, one of the other talks I went to was about a technology called CRISPR. First of all, it was very much at the edge of my understanding. Luckily, I was sitting next to Rob, so I'm sure Rob can uh, discuss it and um, explain it in more detail. But at a really top level, uh, CRISPR is a technology that was developed to edit DNA. And, and they took, I think it was a protein from a virus, which enabled them to very accurately snip pieces of DNA out and then insert other pieces of DNA in. And, and you know, the potential for this is just mind-blowing. But obviously... There's a lot of stuff you can do at an embryonic stage, which then enables something, if it was a, an animal, or a, you know, to, to, to grow. Or if it's a, a plant, you know, you could then do it at, um, at the seed stage in order to genetically modify plants. But you could even edit the DNA of a fully grown adult 
clearly you're not necessarily going to grow a new limb, but there are certain elements of your of your makeup which are still controlled in real time by your DNA. So you could actually edit someone's characteristics at a DNA level. And uh, we found this fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So um, I guess um, imagine the sorts of things you might be able to change with that. It's, it's well, like a, it's a real life Photoshop. Well, exactly, and it actually comes back to one of the things you were you were talking about earlier in terms of if you could do anything to your brain, what would you do? You know, obviously there's a Q and A session at the end of each of these talks. We ask the question, um, you know, w- w- using CRISPR, will there ever be a boy who can swim as fast as a shark? Which was a, a, a reoccurring theme through many of the talks. We managed to ask this question. And did you just you you like this is my question for South by Southwest this year? And even when even when I'm speaking to Buzz Aldrin about life on Mars, I'm going to ask him if there'll ever be a boy that can swim as fast as a shark. We did kind of variations on a theme, yes, and that was a that was an actual talent to try and get shark boy based questions into uh, you know any talk. But uh, but I, I, what I thought was great is that we managed to ask them in the context actually, so we weren't just fully taking the piss, and the the questions were heavily moderated, but they kept picking this question because they obviously thought it was kind of a fun question to go with which we latched onto as well but um like so we asked the same question of a guy called will roper who heads up r&d for the american military uh they spend 70 billion a year on r&d 70 billion if they were based in the uk they'd get great tax credits (laughs) yes they would (laughs) yeah yes they absolutely would and um he as he put it, he basically has the best job in the world because he has a $70 billion budget and doesn't really report to anybody, which was kind of spine-tinglingly terrifying. Um, but he, we also asked the Shark Boy question of him, and he pretty quickly was, you know, he sort of smirked and went, well, yeah, absolutely, it will be possible. And actually, we are genuinely exploring, you know, it, all the opportunities to splice animal DNA into human DNA and what that could do for us. And could we have soldiers who could run really fast or jump really high? And like, like not not taking the piss, like genuinely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff we're working on, which just, you know, warped my mind a little bit. But the other stuff he talked about, which was fascinating, was how they can drop like swarms of drones with fighter jets now to do like low level surveillance. Um and about how like that's a great piece of technology because the drones themselves are actually just like consumer hardware. So if one gets shot down or whatever, it's not a big deal because they're not losing valuable parts and, and R&D. And, and in the, the software is m- really easy to protect. So In the middle of all those drones, there's an Amazon Prime one. It's <laughs> <laughs> been way late. D- d- yeah. Delivering some red Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever you want, I, I'm 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 in I'm in a war zone. I need some red Leicester. I want it. Yeah, in an hour. Amazon Prime now. This is important cheese. There's someone there with a laptop, like tracking their delivery. Like what what's going on? And then it all kicks off, and it, and someone says who stole my cheese, and it all comes into uh, business uh, improvement books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think that that you know that that does tie back to something you were saying earlier about you know if you could improve one f- facet of your brain, what would you do? Well, we started talking about well if you could use CRISPR to edit animal dna into into your dna what would be the one animal trait you would like to embrace which was a fascinating conversation you know would it be like eagle's sight would it be the speed of a puma in terms of running it's got to be the speed doesn't it it's got to be i'm late for the meeting i'm not going to get a cab i'm just going to run and there we go would it be the memory of an elephant well indeed that's probably the thing i would need yeah that would be useful for me yeah i mean i would i don't know what i'd go for rob what would you have definitely the speed for me i think to be able to run like 60 miles an hour would just be such an incredibly useful thing but as a child i used to run places because i found walking was inefficiently slow 
which probably gives you an idea of where I sit on the Rain Man spectrum. scale. Yeah. Uh, somewhere on the spectrum. Um, but um, what about you, Jim? Come on, what would you go for? I was just thinking about it, and and actually, uh, for me, I think I would probably get the the qualities of a cat. So um, I'm I'm sometimes referred to as the wooden man because I'm so stiff and and in, inflexible. So to be able to have that sort of ability to sort of bounce, and I could also then make my own memes that would be incredibly popular because I would <laughs> have the traits of a cat. You could be very famous. I actually, um, this is slightly sort of obscure, but I I, I thought. Um, you know, it's, I think it's fairly well accepted that a lot of animals actually have a sixth sense, a, a form of kind of psychic communication. You know, I, I, in, in uh, Thailand, when there was the tsunami, apparently all the animals that weren't in captivity all moved to the top of the mountain far in, in, in advance of actually the, the devastation. So not a single animal that wasn't in captivity died. Um, it's so- amazing, isn't it? It is, you know, and you just look, you can, you know, horses, you know, they can sense danger, dogs, you know, they, they, they so I, I would have had the kind of psychic powers of, a, of an animal. Hmm. And you know what, in, in lieu of psychic powers, if you see a horde of mixed animals charging past you in the other direction, maybe have a little think about joining them. Especially if you live in a coastal area. <laughs> yeah, particularly in the Asia-Pacific region. I guess maybe to sort of wrap it up and let's keep it positive, if you were going to put together a talk for next year's South by Southwest, what would that be? Oh, and that's a good one. Shall I keep talking while oh, I, I give you first. a moment? I could go. And I would take inspiration from something that I've thought a lot about recently. AI, it was the big theme, right? We didn't really yeah, touch on that. Yeah. Every year at yeah. South by there is like a distinct theme. It's sort of unofficially the theme, but it just becomes the thing everyone's talking about. So like this year, it was definitely AI with bots maybe being just behind that and how the two sort of fit together. How do we make emotional machines? How do we make sure AI doesn't destroy our world and, and that whole narrative? And we talked about bots a lot in the last episode. And, uh, yeah, with our guest not... Sid from the bot platform. Exactly. exactly, and whether they could be emotional. And, you know, we talked about when they involve Ollie Murs, they can be. Indeed. And, uh, and well, we haven't got a quick fire game this time. Maybe we'll come up with one on the fly shortly. But we recently ran a one-day conference ourselves in Guildford called WXG, which my business, Wirehive, ran in partnership with Kyan, a digital agency. And what we did was invite loads of interesting speakers and trying to create like a mini South by Southwest for one day for people in you know Hampshire who couldn't get out there. One of the speakers we had was a guy called Guy Armitage from an agency called Zealous. And he gave this really inspiring talk, which was kind of a, a potted history of humanity and how actually, if you look back, when humans have time on their hands, they get creative. And so there's this whole like, Thing, this narrative right now is AI is going to take our jobs and we're all going to be on the streets and it's going to create war and famine and it's all, it's all over, right? We've done well, guys, but in 50 years' time, we might, a good as, run. we might as well go to Mars because the machines are going to kill us all if we hang around. You know, that seems to be where it's got to. And his point of view was actually look at like Renaissance art and the things that went on around that time period. Why that all kind of came to pass was because loads of people died from the plague so actually there was this huge glut of resources which meant nobody had to work because back then work fundamentally was producing resources so there was way more food and everything than they needed so they just sat around and got creative and this is where all the philosophers of our age come from this is where some of the amazing works of art were were, were created and so his take on it is maybe the best is yet to come actually maybe we can palm off all the crap to the machines and washing our cars and you know whatever else and Go back to what humans are really great at, which is thinking and creativity and, 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 you know, that side of it. So I would give a talk on that and how it's not the end, it's the beginning. So maybe you could, uh, there could be an experiment part of that where you would uh, 
I don't know, pay someone to do nothing for a year and see what magic came from it. I mean, I know that um, I know plenty of people that you could pay for a year and, and not get too much, but maybe there are plenty uh, uh, when things get normalized across lots of people, uh, then 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 maybe some amazing things come from it. And I think that is a really interesting. It's a really interesting talk. I look forward to you preparing that talk, even if uh, South by Southwest don't want you to do it. And Adam. Well, I'd like to take this opportunity to launch my campaign for my talk that I will be giving at next year's South By. Uh, so I'd invite all of our listeners and, and all of their networks to contribute to this. And the, the title of the talk is How to Crowdsource a Boy That Swims As Fast As A Shark. Amazing. And so you're going you're gonna to fund it? I'm gonna, I'm, I think between us, we know enough people, we could have a bloody good shot at it. So uh, let's get going. Let's, so uh, my name's Adam Graham. I want a shark boy. Is, uh, in case that wasn't clear, yes. That's, that's essentially <laughs> the idea for your talk. Um, that's good. I, I think that's perhaps a wonderful note to bring things to a close on. So I'd like to thank Adam Graham, our guest today. Thanks for having me. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, an, another lovely uh, time I've had recording this with you, Robert. What are your final thoughts? Ah, Jim Bowes, what are my final thoughts? Um, episode two has been great. Uh, definitely more refined than episode one. I think this velvet-clad studio we're in has definitely reduced the echo. Further refinements to come in the future. If there are any topics that any of our listeners would like us to approach, then maybe write in and let us know. But yeah, it's been great fun. We'll be back next month with another amazing guest. So stay tuned and see you next month. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think I will just wrap up and say, let's get some stories from another CTO that isn't your CTO, just so that um, the, the, the criminal list doesn't get any longer. Well, he's going to be incarcerated shortly. So yeah, CTOs out there, do send in your stories. Let's have them. Tell, geek out, tell us your stories. Tell us how you live your life in the, the vein of a CTO. And yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Alexa, stop. About how technology is changing our lives. This Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowles. <laughs>